Well, let me say again, good morning. It's my pleasure to greet you all, those of you who are here in the sanctuary and those who are at home. Uh, we greet you by the name and the spirit of Jesus Christ. We gather in trust that the spirit of the living God will draw us together and draw us up to the Lord. This morning, we have the privilege of welcoming Ben Davison to the pulpit. Ben was a Duke Divinity School intern with us last year and has come back for a second year in hopes that he might get to meet and get to know more of you. So we've benefited from Ben's preaching uh, on video, but this morning we have the real thing live. So Ben, come on up. Thanks for ministering to us through the word today. Well, good morning, Blacknall. It's good to be with you all this morning. Will you pray with me? Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. This morning we are gathering from so many different places. We know this to be true geographically and spatially, but it's also true of us emotionally and spiritually. Some of us are coming here full of faith and excitement, eager to hear a word from you. And others of us, if we're honest, we're full of deep doubts and questions and fears. Lord, you know us fully, and we're here. We're all here. In your mercy, would you meet us where we're at, and then would you take us to the place where you want us to go? We pray this in your son's name. Amen. I have a question for you this morning. How do you understand change in your life? If you're anything like me, it really just depends on what's being changed. For example, some change brings a lot of joy. I am always looking forward to the next season in life. And especially as the summer temperatures start to go down, I am surely looking forward to fall. But other change in our life is much more painful. Maybe you've experienced your parents or your grandparents aging to the place where they are no longer self-sufficient. Or maybe just when you thought COVID was coming to an end, it's reared its ugly head once again. This change that I'm talking about is, I guess, what we could call passive change. It's change that happens to us against our will and regardless of how we live our lives. But there's also such a thing as active change in our life, change that we choose, change that we use our own volition for. A couple weeks ago, I dropped my sister off at college with my parents, and my sister up until that point had been full steam joy and impatience to get to college. But in the days right before she got there, and as she got there, and in the following few days, she was hit by a wall of questions and anxieties and fears. Maybe there's even some students in the room that feel the same way. And it alerts us to a strange truth about this, is that sometimes even the change that we choose brings doubt, fear, and pain. Or maybe the people that you love most in your life have approached you and said, you need to change. That's perhaps the most difficult kind of change. This morning we're going to listen to some hard words from Jesus that call us to change. But before we do that, I want to help place Jesus' hard words in context. Right before Jesus says these hard words, he has two encounters with the Apostle Peter. 
The first encounter is Jesus comes before his disciples and asks them the question, who do you say that I am? And Peter, being the brash and bold disciple, turns to Jesus and says, you're the Messiah, the Son of God. And he seems to get it right. And then in the verses that follow immediately after this, uh, Jesus uh, begins to talk about how he's going to suffer and die. And Peter, maybe feeling bold and brash from his last encounter, getting it right, uh, pulls Jesus aside and begins to rebuke him and say, you're not going to suffer and die. This isn't the way of the Messiah. And Jesus turns to Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. Perhaps some of the hardest words to hear in the New Testament. And it's on the coat of these two encounters with Peter that Jesus utters these difficult words for us this morning. So listen to the book that we love from Mark chapter 8. He called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If any would become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in the power of his Father with the holy angels. And he said to them, Truly I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God has come with power. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Really? Thanks be to God? As I was preparing for this sermon, I couldn't help but think that this is the perfect text to offload onto the intern. <laughs> Hop up to the pulpit, deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me, and make sure the coffee's hot around the office while you're at it. I was hoping that I might get a text like, come all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Or maybe ask and it will be given, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be open. Or one of my personal favorites, let the little children come to me. You see, Mark is full of fast-paced healings, the conquering of evil powers, a Jesus of radical inclusion, reaching out to the margins. And that's a Jesus that I can get on board with very easily. That's a Jesus that's very palatable to me. But the Jesus that's much more difficult to get on board with is the Jesus we find today, I think. The Jesus that calls us to self-denial and even death. So I want to be honest about the difficulty of this passage this morning. And the alarming truth of the gospel is that you can't stay the same. The gospel means that you have to change. So I'm going to invite you into change this morning. We'll do this by looking first at the call of the cross, and then we'll look at the grace of the cross. So first, the call of the cross. In this difficult passage, Jesus begins by giving us three verbs. Deny yourself take up your cross, and follow me. And it's in these three verbs that we find the foundation for an entire life of discipleship. And in some sense, these verbs are very targeted. We kind of know what they mean, but in another sense, they're really vague. What does it mean in our modern age in the 21st century to take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow Jesus? 
They seem like kind of archaic words, but in some sense, we know that they are a claim upon our lives. I like the way Leslie Newbegin puts this. Do you guys know who Leslie Newbegin is? Leslie Newbegin was a missionary to India for 40 years, and then he came back to the West and said, wait a minute, the Western world needs missionaries just as much as anywhere else in the world. So he began to write and to teach and to preach about what it means to be a missionary people in the West. In one of his books called The Gospel in a Pluralist Society, he writes this. He says, the church's visible embodiment will be a community that lives by this story, a community whose existence is visibly defined in the regular rehearsing and reenactment of the story which has given it birth, the story of the self-emptying God in the ministry, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. I love that. Your life is a rehearsal and a reenactment of the self-emptying God, the story of the self-emptying God. So it might be helpful if we just rehearse what is the story of the self-emptying God? What is the story of Jesus? And perhaps at maybe a simplistic form, we can say that Christ left the eternal realities of perfect eternal communion. He entered into the finite realities of pain and suffering. He walked alongside humanity in joy and brokenness, and then he went the way of the cross because he loves you. That's the story of the self-emptying God. Christ has descended into the depths of earthly reality. He's made his way into the far country, as theologian Karl Barth would put it, and he's entered into the pain. And your life is a reenactment and a rehearsal of Christ's story, his descent into the depths. I love this story about Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa was in Calcutta, India, and she was walking down uh, the slums of Calcutta. And she stumbled across a man who was dying of leprosy in a gutter. And she was with a few other people, and she stopped, and she went over to this man, and she began to hold him. And she began to pick the maggot-infested leprous flesh from him to clean his wounds. And there was a time later when the people who were traveling with her were eating dinner together, and one of them came to her and said, Mother Teresa, I have no idea how you did what you did today. I would not have touched this man for a million dollars. And it is said that Mother Teresa looked at him with pity and joy in her eyes and said, oh, I would not have touched him for a million dollars either. But I would do it for the love of Christ. I love this heroic story of the saint who descends to the depths, who goes to the broken. But I also really like the stories of the ways that you are faithful in our own community, the ways that you as Blacknell Church descends to the depths. This last Tuesday, I was at a volunteer organization uh, kickoff event for Reality Ministries. Reality Ministries is one of our uh, core partners here at Blacknell. Reality Ministries serves those who are intellectually and physically disabled in the larger Durham, Chapel Hill area. And I wasn't surprised, but I was delighted to find that in this volunteer gathering, there were a lot of you Blacknell people because you as a church have descended to the depths. You found your way in your modern context and your place to go and to reach those who are on the outside, those who have been historically marginalized, those in our community who are lonely and are currently marginalized. And I love that. And I think your stories are just as inspiring as the heroic stories of people like Mother Teresa. The beautiful thing about the church is that we have this corporate expression. We get to descend into the depths as a group, but we also get to do it in our own individual lives. 
and you, like stars that stretch across a luminous dark sky, are going to go into every sphere and place in your own life, and you're going to descend to the depths, just as Christ did. You're going to rehearse and reenact the story of the Christ who has drawn near, the Christ who enters into the pain. So I'll be curious to hear how you rehearse and you reenact that. I'll be looking for your emails this week. I'm sure Dave and Goody will as well. So I'd love to hear, how are you rehearsing and reenacting that story? And if you're too shy to share that, maybe you can brag on a friend, the way you see someone in our Black Knoll community rehearsing and reenacting the story of the self-emptying God. So that's the call of the cross, and now I want to look at the grace of the cross. The grace of the cross is that the call to self-denial, the call to follow Jesus, ultimately the call to change, it's for your good. There's a lot of hard words in this passage. I'm thinking of those who lose their life for my sake will save it. It's a difficult word to hear, and it's hard to really understand what does that actually even mean. The call to lose your life, the call to follow Jesus, is for the sake of finding your life. And if that's true, if you lose your life in order to save it, that is by God's grace. That's the grace of the cross. I had a teacher who had a sign on his door that I saw every day as I entered, and it said, I love you for who you are, but I love you too much to let you stay that way. And I think that's a great expression of a fundamental truth of the Christian life is that God loves you prior to your actions, full stop. God loves you for who you are. There's no doubt about that. But God's love is not passive or stagnant, but is rather drawing you into new life. Following Jesus' declaration that we have to lose our life in order to find it comes some equally challenging words, I would say, that we can't have both the world and our soul. What does it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? And I think what Jesus is doing is Jesus is trying to connect these two ideas. We lose our life and in return we gain our life. And perhaps the method or the way that we do this is by giving up our pursuit of obtaining the world. If you're anything like me, maybe you like to bargain with God. We want the world and all that that it brings, but we also want Jesus. So maybe... We, we try and make sense of this incongruity in our lives of trying to have the world in Jesus too. And the best way we know how to do that, if you're like me, is you privatize and relegate Jesus to your private sphere. You say, Jesus, you can have Sunday mornings and you can even have Wednesday nights maybe. But the rest of my life is mine. We try and hold on to both the world and our soul. But the grace of the cross demands that you can't have both the world and your soul. Jesus is not willing to allow you to split allegiances, and so by his grace, he pulls you out of your two-faced lives. This is the grace that shakes us out of our slumber and disabuses us of the idea that you can have both the world and your soul. And this grace often comes in the form of pain and harm, pain and hurting, pain and loss. Maybe you know something of this grace in your life. The diagnosis comes in, and the only assurance the diagnosis brings is that your life will assuredly never be the same. The job you've searched for for so long is elusive and maybe even non-existent. You wonder, how am I going to put the pieces back together? 
the marriage that promised to solve your problems of loneliness and your deep aches has turned out to be a place where you're really just lonely in a marriage. And you're wondering, how is this going to be sustainable? How will this go on any longer? This morning, I'm not suggesting, and I'm really not even asking you to interpret every tragedy and hard experience as God's grace in your life. But I know some of your stories. I've gotten to talk with a few of you. And I know something of my own story, that at our lowest points, it's sometimes there that we find God and that we see him most clearly. As many of you experienced, where can you go when everything else is falling apart? It's why someone like C.S. Lewis might be able to write, God whispers to us in our pleasure, he speaks to us in our conscience, but God shouts to us in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf and hurting world. The gospel means that you have to change. The gospel means that you can't stay the same. And if it takes pain to get there, if it takes the change of loss and pain that are a necessary part of discipleship to pull you out of your own self-absorption and your illusion that you are in control, I want to suggest to you that that's God's grace. If God has arrested you and God has brought you near in the hurt and in the pain, that's the grace of the cross, the grace of the hurt and pain of denying yourself and losing your life. There's a part of us that wants both the world and our soul. I think it's just who we are. And that part of us has to die. Because left to ourselves, we won't willingly give up the conquest for the world. And sometimes it's the pain and loss that brings us to our knees and reorients us back to God. The Apostle Paul understood this really well. He talked about it all over the New Testament. He spoke of an old self and a new self that's present within us. And he said, if the new self is going to live, the old self has to be put to death. Something has to die. Jesus himself spoke about this in strange kind of metaphorical, story-like natures. He said, unless a, a kernel of wheat falls into the ground, it can't bear much seed. And they're all pointing to this truth that something in you has to die. You have to lose your life if you're going to find it. I'm at risk by quoting C.S. Lewis twice in one sermon, but our beloved Pastor Allen has retired, so somebody has to pick up the slack and quote C.S. Lewis, so I'm going to try and fill that gap. In his book, The Great Divorce, C.S. Lewis talks about a ghost named Ike, and this ghost named Ike is making his way from what's called the Grey Town. It's this purgatorial, hellish place, and he's making his way up to the foothills of heaven. And while he's making this journey, he comes to discover that he's simply just a shell of a person. As he tries to walk on the grass in the foothills of heaven, the grass stabs through his feet. And he has this encounter with an apple tree where he's trying to steal apples off the tree. He eventually try, he starts by trying to steal all of them, and he realizes that that's an impossible task. The apples seem to weigh thousands of pounds. So he settles for one apple. Eventually, he just settles for the smallest apple because that's the only one that seems possibly manageable and it's still to no avail. He's trying to lug this apple out of heaven. And what Lewis is pointing us to is the difficulty that heaven is too real for this phantom as he is. That if Ike wants to exist in this place, he has to relinquish his self-absorption, his greed, and his pride. The larger truth, I think what Lewis is pointing to us is that God's plan for you is new creation and that your desires as they are are too weak, that you have to change. Something has to die if you're going to save your life.
left to yourself, you're simply just a shell of a person. And God's call to change is grace in your life. That's the grace of the cross. Because it's a call to be transformed. It's a call to live into your truest identity. To understand that you are a son and a daughter of God. If you lose your life, you'll find it. You'll discover your truest identity. You're a child of God. Something has to die. And if it's true, if God's grace is calling us into change, if God's grace is even experienced through loss and pain, then it's for our best. And do you know what that means for you? It means that you don't have to be defined by the past that you can't change. You no longer have to be defined by that thing that keeps you awake at night, that haunts you, because God is drawing you into new creation. That's why it's really important this morning that we come to the table. Because the table is the place that we experience that we don't walk this journey of change alone. It's at the table that we come to understand that God is the one who's walking before us and behind us and on both sides, that God feeds and nourishes us at the table, that God sustains us. You don't have to walk this journey of change alone. I would hate for someone to walk away from this sermon and to think, well, my responsibility now is to grit my teeth, press my knuckles together, white knuckle this, I've got to make it work, I've got to change. Because the grace of the cross is that Jesus has offered to walk this journey with you. So as we move to the table, as we prepare our hearts this morning, I want to leave you with an invitation. Will you prepare your heart? Will you invite the Holy Spirit to be an active of change in your life? so that you can deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.